Well, aloha from Hawaii, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School for Sunday, November 7th, 2010. This is also the first day of Standard Time for most of the United States and Europe. This program will continue to be heard at 1 o'clock in the West and 4 o'clock in the East. Universal Coordinated Time, we change from 20 to 21 hours now, but most of you, there will be no change at all. Here in Hawaii, and I think there's some areas in Arizona that don't go back and forth from standard to savings time either. But uh, we'll make the change out here. It's uh, I get an extra hour in the morning during the winter just so that the program year-round will be at 1 o'clock Pacific and 4 o'clock East for you. Today we're going to talk about brain entrainment. I'll describe the phenomena. We'll talk a little bit about brain waves. What in the world are brain waves? And what can we learn about brain waves from our level of conscious awareness? A real important area, and not nearly as complicated as you might fear. This is really pretty simple and, and straightforward here. And then uh, what are some entrainment devices? Now, there's basically two areas of brain entrainment, light and sound. Because of the nature of our webinar here and the podcast uh, that follows the live class, I can't uh, work very much with light, but I'll tell you about it. And uh, we'll not only talk about the sound, but I'll have some sound bites to play for you a little bit later. Some gongs, some chanting, some um, Tibetan bells and bowls, um, something called alpha beats, and also we'll talk about binaural brainwave beats. Okay? So light and sound, low-tech, high-tech, and everything in between. The phenomena of brain entrainment to create altered states, profound relaxation, even some wonderful health benefits can accrue from this. That's our topic for the day today. So thanks for being with us, whether you're live on this Sunday afternoon or listening to the podcast. We hope you'll forward these programs to your friends. It's an easy thing to do. It's a considerate thing to do. And if you understand karma, then you'll know you'll benefit from that service to humanity. The best service that you can be to humanity, according to all the sages of all the religions and philosophies, is work on yourself. Become self-aware. And then develop that awareness and refine that identity. Uh, Understand your motives and then tend to work in a direction of redeeming those motives. And uh, so, you know, your your very first project has got to be yourself. So we like to say, know yourself, grow yourself, and then express yourself creatively in service to humanity out into the world. It's just that there's so many people that know they want to help other people, but help them what? Right. Well, How about know thyself and then empathize with other people? That's the alternative to judging people is to understand yourself 
you don't even judge yourself so much as discern uh, uh, an unfolding and dynamic understanding of who you are and, and what you're capable of. And then you can empathize with other people and sympathize and even move into compassion. And uh, that's good for you and that's good for the world as well. The idea that self-interest is at odds with community interest, you either work for yourself or you work for the community. And if you work for the community, that's some sort of sacrifice, I think is absurd on the surface. And I want to call your attention again to how often it is that basic mysticism simply puts and where the or used to be in your thinking. Uh, if we can purge our minds of this idea that black is not white and this is not that, and understand that this is always that, and that comes from this, and they're all connected, and they're all relatively true to varying degrees, we can move into the middle way, the, uh, the play the game on the playing field instead of the end zones, which, by the way, are out of bounds. Uh, so... Anyway, let's get to brain entrainment because this is going to be a fun topic, I think. I I saw my first light and sound machine in 1987, and I was so impressed with it. And like meditation itself, which I discovered in the early 70s, I thought, oh, everybody's going to be onto this in no time. I figured the whole world would be meditating by 1990, and of course I was wrong about that. I was also wrong about light and sound. Uh, I figured, well, by 1995, this was 1987, that somebody handed me this device that, made by a company called Data Technologies out of Ball City, Washington. And uh, I put it on, and man, what an experience I had. Psychedelic, visual, but more importantly, creating very, very quickly these altered states of deep relaxation and the particular device I had at that time had 13 different programs. Now there are some units that have up to 50 programs. You can also get software for your computer and uh, develop your own light and sound programs. Take yourself to uh, very interesting places. But I was wrong about uh, that as well. It, they never really caught on. Uh, I think that the truth of the matter is that many people, in spite of what they say about being stressed out and wishing they were not so anxious or nervous, a lot of us really love our attention. A lot of us are really uh, addicted to what we perceive as the excitement of a high-stress lifestyle. And, of course, We've discussed in the past the relationship between fear and excitement. There is a thin line between oh no and oh boy, but it's a significant one nevertheless. Oh no is a holding on response to anxiety, which could be good or bad, happy or sad. Uh, enthusiasm and excitement and fun is a letting go of exactly the same anxiety, exactly the same experience. Right? So you can think of a roller coaster. Some people are holding on for dear life and they're reporting the 
experience to be rather frightening. And some people love to throw their hands up in the air, let go, and uh, they report the very same experience physically in uh, very different ways. So you can see how we'd get confused and maybe even addicted to adrenaline, right? Even addicted to uh, what we are experiencing largely is excitement and fun, and I love my job, and I love the vitality of the big city, and driving on the freeway, and zoom, zam, zing, zoom. But it takes its toll, because the subconscious mind, which is 90% of your potential, the imagination, is perceiving so much of it as potentially dangerous, just because so much of it is confusing and unknown, remember all fear, anxiety, and stress, nervousness, worry, and doubt is things unknown that rarely, rarely are dangerous. But the subconscious doesn't know that. It easily imagines danger where you only see confusion and, again, maybe even excitement and fun. So a lot of us are addicted to our stress and our tension, and we fear profound relaxation. Um, I mentioned to a friend this morning one of the most amazing paradoxes to me in the whole personal and spiritual development field is the topsy-turvy jabberwocky belief that fear somehow makes me safe if I'm afraid I'm protecting myself. I'm being careful, right? So I've got to hold this anxiety around me, this constant worry and nervousness and tension as a way to protect myself. And when I say to these people, well, what if you allowed yourself then to, to feel safe as if you really have done a good job of protecting yourself? Now, let go and feel safe. Feel the letting go of muscular tension. Take a slow breath and do that now. Let all your muscles soften. People go, oh, no, that's way too scary. That, <laughs> that, that's, that would be too frightening because I wouldn't be on guard. I wouldn't be ready for the danger. That's safe. See? Well, what that is is a rationalization for fear. That's how clever your ego is. <laughs> It's totally turned reality on its head so that you agree to let the ego always be afraid. After all, that's the ego's job, is survival. The ego is the part of us that identifies with the separated self in a separated world of form, or this is not that. <laughs> we know this material world ultimately to be an illusion or a projection or extension or like a holograph of the spiritual world, where things are part of the one life. They're all interconnected. And we can see that in our environment, in our ecosystem. We can see that in social order, these connections. But, you know, to the physical senses, and certainly this is where the ego comes in, its job is to monitor those five physical senses for danger uh, to the separated body, the poor, lonely, alienated self in a world of separated form. But you've got a higher self that ought to be able to manage that guy and, 
and say, look, you ride shotgun, that's your job, but you don't get to drive the vehicle here. You're my ego, so you look over, you go ride shotgun, you look over my shoulder, you, you know, if the bad guys are coming, you'll be, uh, that's your job to tell me, but I'm going to live from this elevated perspective of a self that goes beyond the ego, contains in a sense the ego and all of the fears, but goes beyond it from this elevated perspective, I see the bigger picture, I allow myself to feel safe, knowing there's nothing here to hurt me. Ultimately, there is no danger. This is a universe where the only thing that's true and real is love. If the only thing that's real is love, the only thing that is eternal is love, the only thing that is infinite is love, what do you have to be afraid of? Many people speak right up and say, well, love can be pretty scary, you know, all that betrayal and lying and cheating and broken hearts. And, well, that's, that's emotional love. That's on a lower turn. That, 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 we talked a little bit about that last week in a program called Understanding Love. But when you capitalize love as the only thing that's real and true, as consciousness itself love is awareness and it's a peaceful feeling and it's a very safe feeling a very relaxed feeling again that transcends emotional feelings your emotional feelings have to be calm if they're not your emotional feelings get in the way of feeling this love this peace this truth this oneness of life Hence, the practice of stilling the body, quieting the mind, and calming the emotional nature with some sort of meditative or contemplative technique. Usually it involves closing the eyes and turning away from the physical world. Some slow, deep breathing initially and the feeling of letting go, which are really three messages to the subconscious that we're stressed, but we're not in any danger. I'll prove to you we're not in any danger. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to breathe slowly. <laughs> I'm going to relax my muscles. That's what meditation is. It's reassuring the subconscious that you're safe enough to relax and turn your attention from all of these thoughts in your head and all of these emotions that all blended together are demanding so much of your attention, so much of your time, that we lose sense of the higher self. We lose the awareness of the thoughts and feelings as a product of consciousness. We believe we are those thoughts and feelings, right? I talk about the ping-pong game or the tennis game of the way the thought will hit a, an emotion or a feeling and how that emotional feeling will then ping-pong back and generate another thought, often that will argue with the original thought, even though that's your mind and you believe that's who you are. And then that thought is ping-ponged back into the emotional pools where it splashes and creates 
colors and feelings and back and forth. Thought, feeling, feeling, thought, thought, feeling, feeling, thought, feeling, thought, thought. And we get so caught up in that game, we don't know what to think or feel. The idea of being up in the stands at Wimbledon and looking down and saying, isn't that an interesting ping-pong match with the thoughts on one side and the emotional feelings on the other side? Look at consciousness going back and forth between the thoughts and the feelings, bouncing, boink, boink, boink. But I am that I am. Don't you see? Pasadasi. Uh, thou art that, the higher awareness above it all. Look down there, my thoughts and my feelings. But I am this awareness of those thoughts and feelings. And I can learn to be calm and quiet these emotions and learn to let go of these thoughts by watching them. And maybe even watching the gaps between the thoughts and the silence between the yelling inside my head and go to that place where I'm not distracted, where I can concentrate. This is the essential goal of meditation, to raise awareness in this way. Okay. Now, people say, oh, I can't meditate. Everybody, not everybody, lots and lots of people who claim to want to learn to do this uh, say, well, I tried that once. It didn't work. I couldn't get my mind to quiet. Again, I, I think it's important, though I say this a lot, I'll, I'll repeat it. Uh, you do not need to quiet your thoughts and calm your emotions to meditate. You meditate to quiet the thoughts and calm the emotions. <laughs> and it's a practice, right? You don't have to succeed before you begin. You begin so as to move toward quieter thoughts and more calm feelings and Lower the bar. Cut yourself some slack here. Right? Like people that try to stop eating meat immediately altogether. No meat. Nothing with a face. I've had it. And then they cheat. And the idea of, you know, let's eliminate red meat first. Let's cut down on the amount of meat that you eat. Let's look for ways to use meat as a seasoning, perhaps, or a little surprise in the stir-fry instead of this big hunk of muscle in the center of your plate. Let's move, let's move gradually in that direction. That, that doesn't seem, you know, so complicated, does it? Meditation is the same way. How do you meditate? You begin by sitting and watching yourself trying to meditate, right? I think, uh, again, there are several ways to be... I like progressive muscular relaxation for people that really have a lot of tension, where you start with your feet or with your hands, tightening muscles and letting them go, moving up, tightening, and then letting go. Or out of England, the field of autogenics, where you feel different areas of the body letting go and becoming more and more warm, and just moving your awareness through the body in this way, one area at a time, relaxing. Another classical form of meditation, especially uh, for beginners, is to use the metronome of the breath 
as a point to fix your awareness, bring yourself into the 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 reality of the moment, the nowness of things. Again, the only thing that's true and the only thing that's real is the rhythm of this never-ending moment. Eternity is not a huge amount of time. It's a little pinpoint, this present moment, that has its rhythms and its in-breath and its out-breath and its, you know, ba-ba-ba-bing. It's <laughs> Latin rhythms, Caribbean rhythms, African rhythms, the blues. You know, life has its rhythms, its textures, but it just unfolds in the moment. So to use the breath to bring yourself into this moment, to, if you wish, place your attention at the very bottom of your nose. I often suggest this in the meditations we do in each one of these classes every Sunday, even if only as in part of the induction, at part of the beginning, to place your attention at the very bottom of your nose as if you exist as a little spark of awareness on that ridge line of cartilage between the nostrils and your job is to watch simply witness and observe without judgment the ebb and flow of your breathing and as soon as you find that your mind has dragged you off into some other direction you just let it go you don't fight it you don't reprimand yourself you just let it go and gently place your attention back on the breath and watch the breath. Put a little smile on your face because you know any minute now the ego and the mind is going to try to pull you off into some other direction. Usually negative, it'll probably be a worry, right? Some horrible catastrophe that's going to happen to you because you're so basically inadequate and not good enough. And so, again, keep that grin on your face as you watch that silly game, the lies we tell ourselves and believe. And as soon as you're aware of it, let it go. The gurus say, like, like birds on a wire that just fly away, let it go and put your attention gently back on the breath. Just as you would if you came to Maui and sat with us on the seashore and watched the waves roll in, crash on the beach, and then drain back down the beach into the ocean, the out-breath. The in-breath, as the wave rolls in, you hold for a moment as you peak, the wave crashes, and as you exhale, the water drains back down the beach into the ocean. Now, you could sit there for a long period of time. Most people could easily watch the waves in this way at the seashore for 45 minutes or an hour. So why is it so hard to imagine being just as fascinated and um, just as intrigued by watching your body breathe itself all by itself? So that's a great way to stay in the moment, to stay centered, to use the metronome, if you will, of your breathing to watch that rhythm and to use watching the breath to uh, to stay in the moment. What happens is 
after a while, you begin to watch yourself breathing almost as if it's somebody else's body that's breathing. And you begin to create an awareness of yourself as other than, in a sense, the breather. You're the one that's watching this body breathing itself. Sure enough, your body, but there is a, not dissociation, but a detachment. And once you're capable of doing that, you can do it with your thoughts. That's where you begin to detach from your thoughts and realize that you could have a thought without judging it as right or wrong or good or bad. You don't have to always decide again and again and again how to categorize this thought or where to place it in the scheme of things. It's such an effort. And certainly there are times you need to do that. You're making a plan. You're learning from the past or planning the future. You're making a decision. You're solving a problem. You're applying yourself to studying, of course. But the point is, when we most of us turn our attention away from an applied task, the brain continues to churn in such a stressful way as if life itself for you would cease if you didn't continue to make it happen by churning up all of these thoughts and feelings and to challenge yourself to, to discover that life does just fine without your participation in that way. You know, the Buddha says in the spring the grass grows. Or a teacher of mine used to say, you don't have to pull up your carrots to see how they're doing. The carrot knows how to be a carrot. The grass knows how to grow. It doesn't need your help. And to re-examine our phony sense of self-importance is to discover a whole new sense of self that actually is much more important or significant but in an entirely different way. It's not the separated self competing with other separated selves that's important. But the harmony, again, a quality of love, the harmony of unity and diversity breathing in and out. Isn't that a beautiful concept? Unity and diversity from the heart of both. What is the center point? What is the if 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 the one and the many or unity and diversity are polarities, then the magnetic field is the harmony or love in the center, right? That's that third element in the middle, always the middle way, the third way, where where the love is, where the heart is, where all the mysteries are unfolded. Now let's talk just a little about brain waves. Your brain, the brain of every living being, radiates, although at extremely low power levels, radio waves. They're technically called RF, or radio frequency waves. They are electromagnetic, all right, and that they radiate through the atmosphere, through the air, or through a vacuum. That's how we get radio in space. You don't need a medium of transmission other than the ethers themselves, right? Uh, unlike sound, which has to have a medium like air to carry it. 
So this is not really electricity that needs a conductor like a wire to move along. It's more electromagnetic, though the two are related, as you know, from your junior high school science, electricity and electromagnetism. What we're interested in when we look at the brain waves of human beings is not any signal that might be carried upon the brain wave like radio or TV. We just want to know the frequency of the brain wave. We want to know its rate of oscillation or vibration. We were talking about breathing and waves before. If you counted the seconds between the waves, you'd know the period or the frequency. Or if you counted as in electromagnetism, the number of waves in a given second, you'd have cycles per second. Like your A below middle C on a piano vibrates at 440 cycles per second. So anything that vibrates, a piano string, a violin string, a ukulele string that vibrates, 400, uh, anything that you stretch and tighten and in such a way that it, when plucked, will vibrate at 440 cycles per second is going to generate that note. Human beings can hear sound between about 40 cycles per second and 20,000 cycles per second. And of course, there are animals like your dogs and whales and dolphins that can hear much higher frequencies. And in the case of the whales, it looks like lower frequencies as well. They're looking out a wider window. They're listening to sounds that you would say are not real just because you have a more narrow window. Each of us can only hear to a lesser degree. You consider light works in the same way. From red to purple, there's infrared and ultraviolet outside the visible light spectrum. But look at the whole reality that you're not seeing and the whole reality that you're not hearing. Again, to base your sense of reality on the physical senses is absurd for a number of reasons. Um, not the least of which is the fact that everything is changing and impermanent in the physical world as well. Another story for another, another day. Brain waves are at the very low end of this. Brain waves run from a fraction of one cycle per second to about 40 cycles per second. Okay. Uh, those brain waves are divided into four uh, areas. Um, nothing definitive about the dividing line. It's a nice smooth transition. Every day throughout the day, the frequency of these brain waves that come off everybody's brain, these low-power radio signals, runs through that whole spectrum from very slow, like one to four cycles per second, is deep sleep, delta non-REM sleep. And then four to seven cycles is the theta range. This is often associated with REM activity, rapid eye movement, and dreaming. Uh, people are usually asleep when they're in theta, just like delta, although it's possible to be awake and aware in theta, but you would, you would appear to be in a deep trance. And though 
consciously aware in the moment, um, it's likely you would also be experiencing so-called hypnogogic imagery or lucid dreaming. You'd, you'd have some very strong visuals going on. Your imagination would be, wow, just really vivid in that theta range. And that's where we usually sleep. And then alpha, the celebrated alpha levels, is the next, the third, a little higher. Um, if delta is 1 to 4 and theta is 4 to 7, then alpha is like 7 to 12 or 13, 8 to 12, 8 to 13, right in that range. 10 cycles plus or minus. That's alpha. This is awake. We call it narrow awake, uh, but focused, alert, very lucid, but um, just thinking of one thought at a time or maybe watching an inner dialogue, a simple back and forth. Usually when we awaken in the morning, have our cup of coffee, uh, jump in the shower, uh, start thinking about everything that we have to do in this day, all of that stimulus, physical and internal, is taking the brain waves higher and higher and higher into the beta range, which runs all the way from, as I say, 13 or 14 cycles, all the way up to 40. And those upper ranges, the 30s, are where the panic attacks are happening. Very high anxiety, extreme freakout, total freakout. Okay, so you can see danger at the top, high brain waves, very high stimulus, and at the very bottom of that scale, uh, in order to generate these very deep brain waves, you have to be safe, so safe that you could go to sleep, um, and uh, again, in a deep sleep or a dreaming kind of a sleep, sleep goes through various sleep stages. So what determines your brainwave level is how much stimulus is going on, either physical stimulus from the world around you or that that you're generating internally with your own anxiety. And the more stimulated you are, the higher the brainwaves and the more scattered your attention so that each thought just gets a fraction of your intelligence. Now, Again, a lot of people love multitasking. They really think they're getting a lot of stuff done. But what suffers is the quality of the experience. They often have no memory of what they did or how they did it or why they did it. So to improve the quality of the experience known as life and living and being consciously aware, we have to slow that process down. All right? We want to let go of the multitasking and trying to do 18 things at once and focus our attention gently. And I've already said we tend to do that with meditative and contemplative uh, self-hypnosis kinds of uh, progressive muscular relaxation uh, to basically do three things. Close your eyes and turn away from the other physical senses some slow, deep breathing, and some letting go of muscular tension, three messages to the subconscious, the imagination, that you're safe, you can relax. Ah, 
and the emotions become calm as the physical body remains still, and then the thoughts become quieter and quieter. Brain entrainment now is a phenomena where the brain tends to, shall I say, harmonize or synchronize or entrain itself in terms of brain waves with any frequency that's being perceived uh, by a physical sense, primarily light or sound. Okay. Uh, taste and the uh, uh, gustatory and the olfactory sense of fragrance and smell and taste uh, can make us tense or relaxed. Uh, depending on our associations. For example, uh, if you suddenly uh, believe you smell your grandmother uh, baking on Thanksgiving in the kitchen or making cookies for Christmas, that could have a very relaxing effect on you. And my mouth is watering just telling you about this. All right. So those senses, nevertheless, are not really used the way the, uh, nor is the tactile uh, kinesthetic sense. Uh, the way light and sound can be used, the visual and the auditory, to lower brainwave frequencies. We find the brain is very amenable to adjusting the frequency of its brain waves to synchronize or harmonize with any stimulus in, that's flashing at you, like lights, or that you're listening to. And uh, so if for some reason you wanted to wake up and you've already had too much coffee, we could have you look at flashing lights at a frequency of, say, 25 cycles per second, and that would wake you right up. In fact, you might start feeling nervous and sort of tense and, and anxious and even a little afraid. Okay. But if, on the other hand, you're already wound up like a snare drum, and we'd like to help induce uh, a level of deep relaxation, we could induce or seduce, if you will, those brain waves to go slower and slower and slower and slower by turning the flashing lights down to, say, 10 cycles per second, or ramping them down from 25 to 10. And that's what light and sound machines do. If you'd like to see a couple, uh, I've been selling them in my hypnotherapy practice uh, since the late 80s. And every once in a while, I don't talk much about it, but every once in a while, somebody finds this on my website and, and orders a unit from me. They're guaranteed. You can go there now or later, theagelesswisdom.com. Remember, the T-H-E is part of my web address. So after the W's, theagelesswisdom.com. Click on the home page to go inside, and you'll see all the navigation links on the left. Go to almost the bottom where it says fun, and click on fun. And there's a bunch of articles in there. The first one is about brain entrainment. There's a little brainwave chart in there, you'll see a couple of the devices that I own and that I recommend that, that were tested at university level 
for years and years. And you can get software to put on your computer uh, to flash lights and make sounds, but it's untested. What I like about these machines is they were tested at major universities. And uh, a lot of the work came out of the um, uh, that institute, Monroe Institute in Faber, Virginia. And you may know something about um, their Holosync program there, creating, again, altered states with the use of sound. So you can look at that later if you'd like and check that out. If you have any question, email me or uh, call my voicemail service and i get back to you and talk to you about uh, trying one of those units. And uh, we'll have it drop shipped to you. You can check it out. And if you don't like it, you can return it, of course. Uh, I'd like to talk about some rather low-tech ways, however, of uh, without any fee whatsoever, uh, nor any need to recharge the batteries. Uh, certainly, you know the experience of going outside on a starry night, especially if you live in the Midwest, outside the city someplace. Uh, here in Hawaii is a good place to do it, not too many city lights. Or I remember uh, the high deserts north of Los Angeles, we used to go up to Joshua Tree, and the number of stars in the night was amazing. Well, if you just lay out on a ground cloth or a picnic table or a chaise lounge on a starry night, you know the altered state. You know the experience you get of consciousness racing to the horizons and this, this expanding sense of who you are. And this awareness that you play what may seem simultaneously like an insignificant and yet essential role in the scheme of things. And somebody might say, where'd you get an idea like that? And you said, well, I was staring at the stars when, <laughs> when it occurred to me. Well, of course you were. And it was the gentle twinkling of the stars. And guess what? about seven or eight cycles per second that induced an alpha brain wave level of deep relaxation, same as any guru or yogi or meditative master could attain, all right, by laying on your back and allowing yourself to just watch the stars and let those feelings have their way. Now, you could lay out there and think about calculus. You could think about baseball. You could think about all your problems while you stared at the stars, and they would be nothing but points of light up in the sky. Nothing would happen. Obviously, you're directing your mind, but if you let it go, again, if you allow yourself just to experience the present moment, of those twinkling stars, there you go, brain entrainment, bingo. A fireplace will do the same thing. Uh, lots of people, uh, they can't go camping without a fire. they got to have a fire. I, I know the feeling. And once you get that fire built up, and it's been going for an hour or so, when you stare into the fire, you're, you really don't watch the flames. Initially, you may watch the orange flames licking up. 
But if you get in on that fire, or even a fireplace in your house, and you sit in front of that, you will find yourself attracted to the base of the flames, where there is this throbbing, glowing, uh, pulse. That's the word that comes to me. That again is about six or eight cycles per second, pulls you right down to the natural principles of brain entrainment. This is something your brain does. Just like your mouth salivates when you think of food. This is, this is how it works. And as you find your attention drawn to the base of those flames, the same phenomena happens as when you lay out and watch the stars. If you allow this to happen, um, your awareness will expand. A lot of people um, understand this in terms of a single candle flame, where you do have to watch the flame. You, you don't have the base of the fire, like I've just described. Nevertheless, to watch a candle flame, especially in a still room, where there are no air currents whatsoever, and that candle flame is perfectly fixed, and it's a quality candle, so you don't have black smoke or, or soot coming off the top. And you're attracted by the variations of color, maybe the shape of the flame itself, its taper, its beautiful lines, and the way the various colors, the yellows, fade into the blues and the violets, and even an area at the very base of the flame where it seems to have no color whatsoever which you know to be the hottest part of the flame. This, too, can carry you away. And so how common is it for meditations and religious services to have lots of candles? People light a candle, say a prayer. And, and of course, the allegory of light, what light represents in terms of enlightenment or the visual component of love, love and light, Right, we've talked about in the past and we'll discuss much in the future. So understand the allegory, the metaphor here of light as well. But in a practical sense, the flame of a candle, the fire, the twinkling stars have a natural effect in training, E-N-T-R-A-I-N, entrain, entrainment. About 10 years ago, the medical establishment got a law through Congress that made that a medical term, entrainment. Okay, I have mixed feelings about that being a medical term, but it's just a natural phenomenon. Your brain does not need to be trained to do this. It has this built-in entrainment, or whatever flashing visual or auditory stimulus it's exposed to, the brain waves adjust itself to that frequency, and the consciousness associated with brain waves at that frequency, all right, comes into play as well. So when we get into this upper theta alpha area, eight to ten cycles per second in that range, this is just above sleep, but below the scattered attention of normal consciousness, where your attention is focused and your awareness 
is most complete and expanding and expanding and expanding, unfolding, heightening, if you will, and you become more aware. You become more aware of the bigger picture, the gestalt. You see large systems and whole concepts where before you'd seen only the bits and pieces. Become aware of unity and harmony, as I said earlier in the show today, in this class. Uh, the meditator begins to see and, where in the past he or she had only seen or. Your values and your ethics, your priorities become refined all by themselves in these states of expanded awareness. You understand the benefits of being kind. You are more forgiving. Uh, it's easy to forget. You get sucked back into the high-stimulus, high-stress consciousness of eight or ten thoughts demanding your attention at once, all the multitasking. You'll forget the kindness. You'll forget the patience. But again, with practice, you can remember and incorporate and little by little be a nicer person, kinder, more gentle, more understanding, more tolerant, more uh, generous, more compassionate, and so on. That's a natural result of expanding your awareness in this way. Now, I can only talk about the light side of this, but on the sound side, I can demonstrate a little bit. I'd like to start with the idea that chanting creates altered states. And I have a number of... Um, chants that I could play for you. Uh, it could be uh, Gregorian chants or Hawaiian chants. Um, what I have done is just chosen one, and I'm going to see if I can bring it up here for you. It's a Native American chant. It's not very long. Uh, listen to this. It's got a little piano in the beginning and end, but the Native American chant in the middle is authentic. This is brief, and the chant is really a shamanic uh, chant to heal the soul. And given what I've said about brain entrainment and the effect of light and sound on consciousness, listen to this chant. Take a breath, close your eyes if you can, and relax, unless you're driving a car or something. And uh, check this out. The Ageless Wisdom Mystery School.
right. So, again, the shaman crosses over, knows how to access the spirit world, uh, can move and have his or her being in the spirit world, and from there make an appeal, uh, perhaps for healing, as in this case, or um, for a, um, a prosperous and abundant harvest, um, what have you. Could be blessings upon uh, a meal or blessings upon uh, a wedding. Okay. Now, um, also in this category, I think, we have um, some of the so-called New Age music or meditative music that uh, I often play at the beginning of these um, classes every uh, Sunday afternoon. So if you ever come in early, you'll hear some of this music. I'm not going to sample it for you now. But again, what is it about that music? It's usually free of melody. If you just listen, you'll hear a basic uh, set of arpeggios, usually. The elements of major and minor chords that are allowed to sustain. But very little rhythm. Usually, you don't hear drum kits, uh, New Age music. And very little melody, also. So that it just becomes a background that again, tends to induce a sense of well-being, peace, and calm. I think that falls in the category. Then I wanted to uh, play a couple other things for you. Um, Gongs and bells in the Tibetan tradition, um, perhaps best known in the West, Tibetan bowls and bells and gongs. Although again, Multiculturally, all around the world, bells and gongs have always been a part of all cultures, even desperate cultures that never ran into each other. When they finally encountered each other, they found they all had music. Everybody's got music and rhythm sticks and bells and gongs and such. And again, I want you to consider, I'm just going to sample a little bit of a gong here. It's listening to the decay. First you have the attack. The the gong is struck. And when you hit a gong, the idea is to hit it firmly, but pull the mallet away quickly so that you don't deaden the resonance of the gong by the stick that you use to strike it with. You strike it and then bring it away quickly and let it ring. It's in the sustain that we would find the brain entrainment and the relaxing meditative effects. Let's have a listen to this gong. Also hear the wah, wah, 
wah at a quieter, subtler level, the beat within the beat. I'm going to play this gong sound again. You'll hear the actual note as the gong is struck and then it decays, the sound decays, slowly fades away. You hear that tone ringing, but see if you can hear deeper within that tone a much slower beat. Listen up. stringed instruments like guitars uh, have to develop their, well, some people, I guess, they just hear it naturally. For me, I had to develop my ability to hear these subtler tones. Often you'll hear a guitar player or a violin player tuning um, and using one string as a reference tone and matching the other string to it. And as the notes get closer and closer to being exactly the same note, you'll hear a beat between the two that gets slower and slower. And that's what the musician is listening to, not the two notes that are being struck so much as the beat between the two as they get closer and closer it would sound like wah 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 and when there's no more wah wah no more wobbling or beating in between the tones you've matched the tone perfectly it is in phase so to speak okay now we're going to talk more about so-called binaural beats in a minute, but before I get ahead of myself, I wanted just to play some alpha beats. This is uh, this is what ten cycles a second sounds like. And again, if you just listen to this, you might find it a little irritating. As I do, actually, <laughs> like how could I meditate with this? Well, it falls away. It falls into the background, and you'd want to use it on a very low volume level anyway, sort of a. The idea is to use it almost subliminally. But this is what 10 cycles per second sounds like. All right, 10 beats per second. And so it'll entrain the brain to move from whatever level of anxiety and nervousness we may be at now, like 25, 30 cycles probably up in that area. Lower and lower and lower and slower and slower and lower. This is what 10 cycles sounds like. Again, that's not my cup of tea, but it does work, um, a sound like that. 
the binaural beats I began to talk about, and I want to play a little of that for you, and then add some Tibetan bells, and and um, that we'll play briefly, and uh, bowls actually, Tibetan bowls. I'll tell you a little about those, and then we'll go to your questions and comments. So you can prepare those now. If you're online, live with us on this Sunday afternoon, just use the text box on the screen in front of you. If somehow it disappeared, then click on the button, ask a question, it'll open up, include your name and city, and be sure and hit submit once you're done with that. And uh, if you're on the telephone and have a question for me, just press star 2 on the touch tone of your phone, and that'll create a flag that... Um, tells me that you want to be unmuted um, for a couple of minutes so we can chat. I can unmute callers one at a time. Okay, so you can do that now. Here's an example of binaural beats, and you can get these uh, software generators uh, from the Internet, usually for free, download them, use them on your machine. I have a Macintosh system, and and I use a software called G-Neural, the letter G and the word N-A-U-R-A-L, G-Neural. But again, if you just go to uh, Google or any other search engine and type in binaural beats, you'll find uh, all kinds of software and websites that are into using not merely the frequency of the primary tone itself, but creating two tones that are slightly different and letting them beat against each other so that the tone itself might be vibrating at one frequency, but the difference in the frequency, let's say you had a A440 on one side in your left headphone, and a slightly sharp 444 frequency on the other channel in the other headphone, 440 in one, 444 in the other, there would be in the middle of your head this four cycle per second beat. Now I'm going to play just a little bit of this. The beat here starts at about eight cycles, and ramps down pretty quickly to four. So listen carefully, close your eyes, breathe, relax, and listen for the way the beat slows. Actually, I think it starts about 12 and goes to four. So this would just take a minute. Listen in. Thank you. 
I think you get the idea. Now, often that's accompanied by white noise or pink noise. Uh, white noise, <laughs> white noise is the sound between AM radio stations. <laughs> if, you, if you remember listening to an AM radio, and you turn the dial between two AM radio stations, that shh sound is white noise. Pink noise is a little more refined. Pink noise is carefully selected elements of the entire auditory spectrum, the audio spectrum. Every element of the spectrum would be like all colors, right, represented. And uh, if you've ever seen a spectrograph of colors running from red to violet, um, well, that kind of stuff, those color wheels come up on our computers all the time, don't they? All kinds of draw programs and Photoshop programs and I think even word processing programs, you'll see these palettes, these color wheels, right? Well, that's actually a line. It's a spectrum from low frequency red to high frequency violet, just like the music we've been talking about and our ability to hear in a given slice of the larger electromagnetic spectrum. Um, so what were we talking about? I got off on my tangent there, and I do want to do the Tibetan bells. The binaural beats, hopefully you got a sense of the idea that as that beat slows, and we were just getting into the four cycle per second when I, when I stopped it there, uh, that's going to generate four cycles per second in your brain. It's going to entrain it just by listening to it. Your brain is going to want to slow to that place. You're going to feel, as a result, relaxed. You're going to find yourself letting go of muscular tension without it even being aware of it. Your blood pressure will normalize. Your pulse will normalize and, and also, in most cases, go slower as uh, your blood pressure corrects itself. Uh, the body grows faster. It heals itself better these states of relaxation you know the grass grows at night and so do we that's when you heal when you're most relaxed the whole idea of the the joke about the doctor saying uh, call me in the morning well of course you'll feel better in the morning that's what a night is that's why we sleep to heal and to dream that's another show why we dream why we sleep um, so Simple entrainment, again. And finally, I want to just play a little bit of this bell sound because this is like the gongs we played earlier. Um, it tends to bring in the sense of bells and overlapping bells. A Tibetan bowl is pounded brass and is usually played in a couple of ways. A wooden mallet can be run around the inside rim of the bowl much like you could wet your finger and run it around the rim of a nice wine glass to make it sing. That's the way you make a Tibetan bowl sing. But you could hit it with a mallet, too. And, and often you'll hear both. Here's just a few seconds of Tibetan bowls. And again, listen to the resonance. Listen to the vibration. Allow those sound waves to move through you and have their way with you.
Okay, so there's a sample of uh, Tibetan bowls. Um, when my wife and I were married, we had the honor of uh, being married in the uh, garden of the home of Manley and Marie Hall in Los Angeles. Um, Marie's known for her own work, but Manley, of course, was the founder of philosophical research and uh, the author of the big book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages. And uh, to be able to be married in their garden was a, a great honor. But a friend of ours arranged for a Tibetan bowl band to be there. I think the name of the band was One Hand Clapping. And uh, there were half a dozen of these guys spread out on this Persian rug. Sounded a lot like what you were listening to. And I'm telling you, doves came down into the garden. I've seen weddings <laughs> where people release pigeons or doves, right? Like at the Olympics, and they all fly away. In this case, these Tibetan bulls were bringing doves down into the garden. It was quite remarkable and uh, a, a great day. Tibetan bulls set the mood for a whole wedding that day. And... Um, I think everybody was really affected by it, especially my family from the Midwest. They, <laughs> I know they weren't quite sure what to make about it, but they seemed to enjoy themselves. So, okay, so there you go. We're talking about brain entrainment using both light stimulus and sound. And so I thought we'd talk a little about chanting as well as the alpha beats and the binaural beats and the uh, shamanic chants, and just the sound om. What is om? You know, the symbol of om represents the oneness of all things, the wholeness of life to the exclusion of no thing, but the sound of om, or a mantra like om mani padme hung. Um, again, I want you to consider that you're setting up vibrations, you see. And so the light and sound machines that I talked about are just the, the hard science, the empirical evidence that the yogis have been right about chakra and vibration and frequency and harmony. Look, you're electrical beings. If you're a spiritual being in a physical body, you're an electrical being. You are made up of, of frequencies. You see, everything that is energy vibrates. All energy vibrates. And it has its amplitude and it has its period or its frequency. Like AM radio and FM radio, amplitude changing or frequency changing, up and down or left and right. See? And then there are the, the, the third dimensions as well of vibration and frequency. You could think simply of ripples in a pool or you could think of ripples in three dimensions as well, electromagnetically, uh, a sea, an ocean of energy. It's like every radio station that, that you could receive right now with a radio in front of you is equally present in the room around you. No matter where you move that radio or its antenna, you can still get all the stations on the dial. 
but you have to tune the dial up and down to the different frequency. Oh, here's 790 cycles per second, actually, on the AM radio. 790 kilohertz, kilocycles, 790,000 cycles per second at that frequency. I can hear a radio station, and uh, they're doing talk radio. And I tune up here to uh, 810, and oh my goodness, there's a radio station at that frequency. And in the room around you, they're all awash in this ocean of electromagnetic energy. And every TV broadcast is in the room and the taxi cabs and all of the beepers and all of the cell phones and every text message is electromagnetically bombarding all around you uh, how does that signal find your phone <laughs> just your cell phone that doesn't ring anybody else it reaches out and touches every cell phone there is when you call somebody but your cell phone has been assigned a particular frequency. That's who you are, a particular frequency or a set of frequencies, a matrix or organized field of energy. So to find your consciousness affected by light and sound should not surprise you at all. Now you have something you can work with. Okay. Seems pretty cool to me. Uh, let's see what kinds of questions we have. I'll check the telephones first. And I don't see hands raised at this point for comments or questions. So let me go to the um, text messages and Q&A from folks online. And um, we have, oh, you know, one thing I wanted to mention while I wait for these to come in um, was the quality of the phone line. I wanted to apologize uh, in playing these sound bites, it's unfortunate that um, uh, they were mono, uh, that I uh, had to use uh, telephone lines because the fidelity, again, the, the width of the frequency of a telephone line, it's just not very wide. So we're jammed, it's called narrow fidelity, and it sounds more like an AM radio than an FM radio of course, when you listen over the telephone. So um, if you wondered at the quality of a lot of those sounds, it's because we're on the telephone as well as the Internet right now. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> it's the best we could do. Uh, I can do a program like this with a better quality signal by not using telephone, but so-called Internet radio, but then there's no back and forth. And I would really like to use the phones. I'd like to bring you guys on. So, uh, as well as get your text messages. Carolyn O'Habra is with us this morning. She just pops in to say hi. Um, let's see. Phil Jaffe in uh, Canoga Park is asking if I remember Jack and Jeanette Garris and how they always open their program on KPFK with Tibetan bowls. And um, let's see. Laurel I in Tucson. Aloha, Michael. Great to hear your voice again. Sound better than ever. And thanks for everything you do. You really make this world a better place for everyone. Peace and love to you and Doreen. Thank you, Laurel I. In Albuquerque, Donna says, Hello, Michael. Uh, sitting here listening with a friend who's never heard you before. 
and she asked me if you were an angel here on <laughs> on earth and I said Michael is a wonderful teacher of life and I feel blessed to listen to him every week thank you uh, Donna in uh, Albuquerque um, angels we should do a show on angels there's a lot of nonsense about angels but there's a lot of really beautiful stuff if you look carefully not just at the um, the books that seem to be popular because people found a clever marketing angle to talk about angels but to look at the history of angels in all cultures in the, the east the deva kingdom you know santa claus we don't even think of it this way santa claus for example or satan which is you know santa satan it's an anagram for saint satan um these beyond being uh, allegories and archetypes or icons uh, or avatars <laughs> uh, or symbols are thought to be members of the deva kingdom the bunny the bunny rabbit at easter a member of the deva kingdom with fairies and sprites and water spirits and salamanders and sylphs and and angels are part of that um uh, but in the West, our view of angels is much more narrow. And um, what is the relationship of the angel to the human soul? See, in, in much of the West, uh, people are, they watch It's a Wonderful Life or something, and they think that the human soul in heaven becomes an angel. But the ageless wisdom tradition, whether the mystics and the shamans, they know not exactly. The angels are a whole kingdom unto themselves. They're not members of the human kingdom. They have angelic souls, but they don't have human souls. And so a human doesn't become an angel. Actually, the angels are supposed to do our bidding, according to the wisdom traditions of the shamans and the mystics of all religions. Okay, The people who are working toward personal experience you see that's really what we're talking people who who use meditation and contemplation to engender a unity or a communion with spirit that um, takes them in the direction of a more full understanding and their consensus that's what the ageless wisdom is I'm not telling you the way it is right uh, I, I have no intention of being doctrinaire, uh, but it's an interesting concept. So, am I an angel? No, I'm not an angel. Are you? Will it, will will we get our wings? I don't. I'm not sure that it works that way. I don't know. Um, but to look at angels as part of the Deva kingdom, uh, with the fairies and the brownies and the leprechauns, and out here in Hawaii, it's the Menahuni, all the magical little people. And uh, the idea that, again, there are entities or energies at these levels, just a different vibration, a different frequency, so that most people don't perceive them. Okay. I think it's a fascinating field. Judy Kraft in Arcadia. Hi, Judy. She says, Aloha, Michael. A great class. Thanks for the info. Glad to have you back and hope to talk to you soon. Lots of love to you and Doreen. And um, let's Robert Fiegel in Del Mar, California. Aloha, Michael. Welcome back. This class 
miss my dose of weekly wisdom, not the same without it, uh, we're back. Because I find myself trying to do too many things at once, or ten things at once, and uh, end up getting nothing done at all. What's the best way to stay focused on one thing at a time? The breath, like before. Use the breath to become mindful. Bring yourself into the moment. I did a lot of this in the last three weeks in the hospital. And I used a set of uh, uh, beads, Buddhist beads, on occasion. Um, where unlike a rosary, you don't say a prayer, really, for each bead, or an affirmation, as in Emil Kue and his affirmation string. But um, use the bead simply to track your breathing. Every time you exhale, you finger another bead. And so if you get distracted, you look around and suddenly you realize you're holding these beads. And, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be watching my breath. And you let go of the nonsense and the chatter and go back to focusing your attention on your breath. And as you exhale, you finger the next bead. And with practice, you get pretty good at that, staying in the moment. That's where life is really rich and wonderful, and where you can apply yourself then um, into the world, Robert, in a focused way. You create that awareness um, before you do whatever you do. I do that with my guitar playing, you know. Often I'll just pick up the guitar and start playing on it, and uh, often does not do it badly um, rather than well. But if I just do some exercises to loosen up and take a few minutes to relax and then focus my attention on my breathing and move toward the guitar with that focused approach, doing one thing at a time, working on one thing at a time and doing it slowly, and deliberately, then in time, you get the pattern down, you get the feeling, then you can speed it up, then you can pretend you're Eric Clapton or whatever, right? (laughs) You just approach it. Uh, The Tao of playing guitar, the Tao of archery, right? The Tao of solving problems and getting things done one thing at a time. Bert in Honolulu is with us today. Hi, Bert. Says, greetings, Michael. Very nice to be spending part of Sunday morning again. Yeah, it's morning out here. Uh, It's afternoon now. After long absence, continue to feel uh, better and better recovering from your surgery and extend my best regards to Doreen. Thank you, Bert. Bert and I are excited about the election of our new governor in Hawaii. Uh, Neil Abercrombie has been a congressman from Hawaii, uh, Hawaii, uh, for many years, and is now our new governor, and brought in a, um, a staff of people who truly believe in the aloha spirit. Um, imagine politics based on kindness and respect and, and thoughtfulness and love. It's a real thing in Hawaii. Um, it's easy to come here and miss it and go home and and think you've been exposed to the aloha spirit, but real aloha is a beautiful thing. It, again, it's core mysticism. It's about the oneness of things, that love is the only thing that's real, about the way the environment, the land, the sky, the sea, 
all of the creatures in the oceans and the forests are part of that one life, that one spirit, uh, to be gentle, uh, to, to walk in harmony with those life forms, um, to live a life of gratitude, uh, always uh, being thankful for the abundance in, the, uh, in your life, in health and relationship and food and clean water. and uh, It's an amazing. I'd, I'd like to do a show one day on Aloha, except um, as a... A Caucasian, a European. I don't, I don't feel like I'm the right guy to do it sometimes. But as a mystic who believes in the ageless wisdom and is collecting, you know, looking for the golden thread here, as so many other mystics have done in their lives, looking everywhere, comparatively, all religions, all philosophies and theosophies and anthroposophies and new thoughts and. And, and all of that, always trying to develop the necklace here, right? More beads on the string. Gina Lowe's with us from Woodland Hills. Hello, Gina. And she says, if we grow and are healed while we sleep, can we assume that medicated sleep is as productive as meditative sleep? No, no. <laughs> uh, we can assume that medicated sleep is not as productive. Depends on the medication. You know, um, I, I can't generalize about medicines in general. Um, I take some and I reject some. But to me, the whole idea of medicine is uh, uh, runs the gamut from food and, and, and water and the air that you breathe to any other substance that you put in your body. And I can't generalize about medicines. Medicines to sleep, like Ambien and, and medications that are formulated to force an anxious person to sleep, are in most cases, I'll say, unnecessary. In the vast majority of cases, uh, people can be taught to go to sleep. They can be taught to feel safe enough to do that and to let go of those meds. But problem with a lot of these sleep aids like Ambien is they create these strange somnambulistic states um, you know like sleep eating you know, sleepwalking, you get up in the middle of the night, sound asleep, go to the kitchen, eat an entire chocolate cake, go back to bed, have no memory of it in the morning, wonder who ate the cake, right? Just can't figure it out Who? it was the Ambien <laughs> so anyway uh, I'm going to go to the phones one more time I don't see any hands raised at this oh I do I do Diane again let's go to Albuquerque and this isn't Donna but this is Diane in Albuquerque uh, you're in the mystery school hi Diane mm. I'm not hearing you dear I don't know why let's see there is that better there, now I hear you. Okay, hi. Boy, Aloha. what a great class. Um, you know, Michael, I was thinking the things that you've talked about today, like doing a class on angels, that would be lovely. Okay. That we would enjoy that. And then, you know, you were talking about people using the different different types of, of 
sounds to commune with the souls and that type of thing. Right. I right. wonder if one day you'll kind of spend a class where you take us through the different sounds and lead us in a meditation. It, for what purpose? You know, to just to have everybody experience how they can use those sounds to go deeper in meditation. Um, I'm not sure what you're asking because, I mean, how is that different than what we did today? What, what else, what along the lines of today are you asking me to go deeper into? Well, and maybe it's something that we can do in the Thursday night gathering that everyone's invited to, um, where we could go into a really deep, long meditation using the sounds. Oh, I see. You just want to do a nice one. Um, how did they uh, come over via the telephone? How did that work? You know, it was good because I certainly got an awareness of what they were, which was great. So it came over it came over really well on my phone, and I have you on speakerphone. Uh-huh. Okay, well, I'll be interested to see how the podcast sounds also. Um, the one that's immediately available, uh, I, I don't process, but then I take and compress so that the quieter passages and the louder parts are all pretty much the same volume and um, put a little music on the beginning and, and the end, and that goes out in a couple of days. That's the one folks can get at iTunes or the other podcast directories. And um, I'll be interested when I, when I do that, to hear that, how these sound over the telephone. Uh, the Thursday night video, I've, th that conference, I've just been putting these, uh, I had this little speaker that I just put in front of my microphone. And uh, so that's a pretty low-tech way to get the sound out on the video conference, you know, when we do the meditation. Right. And if it sounds okay, I, I suppose we can do that. Sounds great. Yeah. See, the other thing, again, is for me to go to an Internet radio type of program uh, using, like, Shoutcast, uh, which has been around for 20 years. Um, no, that's not right. It couldn't be that long, 10, 10 years or 10 or 11 years. And I could do what would sound like a CD quality or an FM quality broadcast and sound effects and such, all of that, but there'd be, it wouldn't be two-way. What I like about this format, even though we do have the telephone, is the fact that I can bring people on like you. Yes, exactly. And um, we also have the ability to interface with Skype, which I haven't worked out. That just started this week. So we can have Skype callers in the future. And again, anyone listening with a webcam uh Go to the newsletter and find the link for our Thursday night video conference and join us there with a webcam and a microphone. That's a lot of fun. And um, so, okay, I just wanted to plug the Thursday conference. Yes. Anything else for us, Diane? No, but thanks so much. It was a fantastic class today. Thank you. I think it was your idea, wasn't it? Well, no wonder it was fantastic. <laughs> I, 
I don't know whose idea it was. I never know. I don't remember either. Somebody suggested we were talking about it on the video conference on Thursday night. So, yeah. Thanks, Diane. Well, thank you. Hope to talk to you this week. Good. Aloha. Aloha. Okay, Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Let's just take a few more minutes to do a quick little meditation, quick little guided imagery exercise here and uh, join with the group, connect with the group as a group. And um, and uh, then we'll adjourn this class. So get comfortable if this is a good time for you. Sit straight but not rigid. Think of yourself as balanced. Do a couple of head rolls and some shoulder shrugs just to get loose. And as you create a vertical alignment and think of yourself as receptive at the top of your head, take a nice, slow, deep breath, inhaling through the nose if possible. Hold as you peek, sense the fullness, and exhale just as slowly, as slowly as possible, without making yourself uncomfortable. Go beyond where you'd normally stop, all the way out, pause for one beat, and begin to inhale. And again, slow it down. Slow it down. With each cycle, you can go a little slower as you become more and more relaxed. So as you continue to take a couple more slow, deep breaths, feel the letting go in your body. Feel muscles relaxing and unwinding. Imagine a stick of butter softening on a warm day. Feel that. If you were the butter, how would it feel to slowly soften? To allow yourself to feel this safe. If only for a few minutes, this relaxed. Feel the letting go. And turn your attention vertically to the downward impress. A gentle precipitation of spirit into matter coming into you, filling you. Beneath your feet, you are rooted into the earth. Feel yourself seated upon your chair, the sofa, your pillow, the floor, as if it were the earth itself, as if you could imagine yourself rooted into the ground, sharing the ground of the material of the mother. Receptive at the top of your head to the spirit of the father. And knowing that these polarities of matter and spirit, mother and father, are but polarities for Spirit can never be less than all that is. 
And so spirit is always father, mother, all that is. And it's highest together. The one about whom not may be said. The ultimate source beyond knowing the absolute. And as we sit here, we are in the middle between the spiritual source and this material world of form. We are allowing ourselves to become paths of least resistance as we open ourselves to an enhanced flow into us, filling us, but then radiating out into the world, a kind of a L-shaped alignment going out into the world in all directions, receiving on the vertical, releasing on the horizontal. And the more you offer up freely and give away your love and your light, this vitality, this chi, this prana, this kundalini, this ruach, this ilan vital, well, the more you receive, and thus you enhance the flow. When we withhold love, we are choosing, because of our fears and our ignorance, to withhold that which has been given to us without condition. Let it go. And thus enhance the flow of love and light out into the world. coming not from you so much as through you because of your alignment, always aligned to a spiritual source above and beyond our sense of self. Receptive on the vertical. A religious person might even say obedient. I'll say receptive, aligned, deliberately and consciously, the little will with your best discernment of the divine will. And then releasing that on the horizontal, without condition, without reservation, without judgment, without categorization, is that a word? Categorizing and pigeonholing and deciding who gets this amount, who, like rationing that which has been given to you so freely. Radiate it without condition into the world. And bring that alignment, that L-shaped alignment with you in your daily life and affairs by deciding that right now, deciding that that'll be easy to remember and a simple thing to do. Decide to do that and bring that consciousness with you as you reorient yourself now to the room in which you remember sitting. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, inhaling, Hold as you peek for a moment, and as you exhale, open your eyes now, wide alert, wide awake, alert, refreshed, and rested.
back in the room feeling fine and better than before. All right, well, thanks for being with us today. I hope you enjoyed our program on brain entrainment. Again, you can always go to my website, theagelesswisdom.com, click on the homepage to go inside, and then web teleconferences. You'll see the whole archive, and there's a send one to a friend gadget there that makes it really simple to forward these programs to people. And on the very front page, the very first page, when you come into theagelesswisdom.com, you can sign up for the newsletter. That way you get the links to the class every week. You'll also find out what Steve and I are doing over at focusedpassion.com with the premium audio programs. You can subscribe for 99 cents, 99 cents a week for that. And, and both sites have a button to our upcoming Maui retreat in the second week of February. And uh, so we're working that also. There's uh, several buttons and several pages that I've not yet completed for the Maui retreat uh, part of the website. Uh, a bare-bones splash page is there. You can check it out. And uh, by this time next week, certainly I'll have all the details in as we start taking reservations and we'll be more specific in our policies about reservations and, and, and paying the total fee and, and all that's involved. But once you're there, uh, all you need is to carry around is your car key. If you have any valuables and there's no reason to bring anything that valuable with you to Maui, but uh, you can lock it up in your car and keep that key. Otherwise you don't need money. You don't need ID you're going to spend 90% of the week on 70 private acres just for us in the most exciting, life-changing mindfulness retreat that you've ever even heard of, much less attended. Finding yourself in paradise, a Walden-like experience. Come and learn to live deliberately, to awaken to the truth that's unfolded the beauty and the joy, the peace and the happiness that is already awaiting for you in every moment of your life once you learn to train the mind and the emotional nature and learn to calm down and learn that you are more than those thoughts and feelings. You may be the electromagnetic field that attracted those thoughts and feelings but you can say no to them. You can learn from them, harvest understanding, and let them go. You can be aware of the process. Again, instead of playing the ping-pong game or the tennis game, you're up in the bleachers at Wimbledon looking down on the game. And it becomes a much more joyful and enjoyable experience that's for sure that's that's a central part of what it means to be wise join us in february figure out a way to do it if, if you tell yourself now i can't do it i don't have the time i can't afford it um i can't imagine it guess what you'll prove yourself exactly right if on the other hand you accept that you may not know how to do it but i'm going to do it one way or the other guess what <laughs> It'll happen for you. 
uh, blow your own cover in that regard. Get excited. We'd love to have you. It's only going to be two dozen people, so hope you'll make your reservation and and uh, check that out. Again, call me or email me if you have any uh, specific question. Include your telephone number. I'll call you back. And um, all of that information is at theagelesswisdom.com and our sister site, focusedpassion.com. Thanks for being with us today. And remember, if you didn't set your clocks back, do it now so that you're in uh, the standard time. And we'll be here again, 1 o'clock, daylight time or standard time, uh, all year round. We're going to be 1 o'clock West Coast, 4 o'clock in the East, live Sundays, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui. <laughs>